Hello, welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter eight of The Amber Spyglass, Vodka. listen no speak long time no book (laughs) chapter (laughs) yeah (laughs) it has been a hot minute or a cold minute because it is winter here (laughs) Mm, yeah it has been it's been a cold minute uh yeah it's it's kind of weird to be back like i get that feeling again where i'm like i don't know what to say i don't know how to pod it's not been that long really but i'm just like how do how does one do a book chapter i mean hopefully well but i guess we'll find out as we go along i feel very rusty much Me too. like the armored bears that we're about to meet in this chapter. <laughs> oh, good one, good one. Uh, yeah, no, I feel feeling very rusty from just reading in general, actually, which is terrible. Yeah how how was your Christmas and New Year? Well, it was all right. Had a mental breakdown. <laughs> oh, just a little seasonal, <laughs> seasonal festive mental breakdown, yeah. as we love to do here. <laughs> so you know like the first half of my break was fine the second half wasn't as good but you know it's fine we're all alive and well well i say well no i'm kidding i'm okay don't worry about me <laughs> there's alive and well and there's alive and well <laughs> yeah that's it that's the one yeah how how was yours it was good yeah i actually took a break which was really nice like i kind of barely did anything work related over the period of time that I scheduled to not work, which is rare for me. I tend to usually sneak in work stuff somehow, but I didn't. I was good, but also it was very busy. And so I like came back from my break almost as tired as I went on it, but at least I'd seen some family. So that was really nice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I came to visit you in Castleton and we went to the devil's arse. We did. It was great. Fed some ducks. Yes. Yeah, Faye got to hang out with some of her real-life demons. I did. It was great. It was great. Loved it. And yeah, and now we're back, and it's January, and I fucking hate January. I think everybody does, but it's the fucking worst. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm finally past the worst part of my January, which is getting my taxes done and having a small, small panic attack when I have to do the form and trust myself to have done the form and just finally be like no you can do no more i'm just not looking forward to like i'm self going to be self-employed this year and i hear rich's horror stories about taxes and i'm like for fuck's sake i don't want to do that the thing is you're a much more organized person than me so you'll probably actually find it quite satisfying or something (laughs) like (laughs) it's just that i am a procrastinator and I like to put things off until the last minute, so my taxes never get done until January. If I wanted to be smug about it, I'd do them in April when the tax year ended. Like, technically, I have a full nine months or whatever to get my taxes done. Or, yeah, about nine months to get my taxes done. I I never do. I always leave it till the last month. I think my thing is that, yes, when I know how to do it, I'll be very organised with it, but it's just the learning what I need to do and how I need to do it, which I'm, like, putting off massively because I'm like, I cannot take in that information right now. That's too much for me. 
Yeah. Since Faye decided to go self-employed, she's been uh, writing all of her weekly schedules on a whiteboard, Uh, which looked very satisfying. So I got myself a whiteboard, despite having already been self-employed for the last five years and never having decided to do this for myself. That had massive. I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and (laughs) flip-flops. I saw Faye organising her time using a whiteboard, so I bought a whiteboard. I did. (laughs) Yeah, and it's helpful because basically like every morning I set like an hour's task for myself to do first thing in the morning that can be done alongside a cup of tea to while I wake up and then I like schedule time in to do like intense work doing taxes have a lunch break doing taxes and then stopping early every day to actually do some creative stuff which is how I've managed to actually finish up a couple of patreon portraits so I've been using my time to decompress from spreadsheets by spending more time staring at a screen and doing some digital drawing. So I've updated mine and Faye's Our Demon portraits to our new 2021 hairstyles to be 2022 hairstyles. We look great. We look great. <laughs> my hair's, it made me realise how much my hair is growing because I was redrawing my hair and I was like, oh, I've got to add some inches. And I also finished up one of our lovely patrons portraits who is at the alethiometrist level. So if you want to check out our lovely portraits, go to our socials. And if you two would like a demon portrait, you can either, if you're already a patron, upgrade your patron uh, patronage for a couple of months to hit the target for the demon portrait level, or join us at that level and then get yourself a portrait of yourself and your demon. It'll be really cute. I love drawing them. They make me really happy. <laughs> it's very calming. Yeah, they're great. I love them. They're really, really good. Also, big thank you to everyone that bought t-shirts. Yeah. Because we haven't, I don't think we've done a proper episode since we had our little pre-order window and stuff. Or if we have, we haven't mentioned it. So thank you so much. Please tag us in your pictures of them. We've seen a couple, but we want to see more. So please show us. I wear mine all the time. So Me too. It's so comfy. The fabric's really nice on the t-shirts. What I will say is it's been a learning curve. And I know that a couple of people are still waiting on the t-shirts to arrive because of posting things over the Christmas period we've learned from this whole experience and we will be doing another merch run at some point in the near future and we will be doing it with so much more knowledge than we went into last time yeah 100 percent. we've got plans we've got plans we just we just need to figure it all out um, regroup but yeah (laughs) regroup we shall let you know once we have figured it all out I have like a whole bank of ideas just waiting to get plopped onto t-shirts that sounds bad but (laughs) i don't know why that word was the word to get printed onto t-shirts that i can't wait to share so yes to say that we've been gone for a little while i don't really have that much to say in this intro Mm -mm. i think we should get into it but first hey Faye. hey what would your demon have been for the last two months since we last said we had demons? <laughs> I, I did my notes earlier and I can't remember what I said. Oh, uh, okay. So I went, I mean, it wasn't for the, it hasn't been for the last two months, but me and Rich went to uh, Richmond Park on uh, the weekend and we had a great time. It was very exciting. We saw lots of deer. So I said my demon would be a stag. Oh, yeah. Because we saw uh, these two stags like having a bit of a tussle with their antlers and it was very fun and we stayed and watched it for like 20 minutes and I was like, oh I, my want God, my, so good. I want my stag demon to have a tussle with either somebody else's stag demon or an actual stag. 
maybe I'll just like scrap my plans and I'll also just have a stag and our like silly boys yes. can go and do headbutts in the corner and we can laugh at them. Like that sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because it, it did proper have that vibe because we like passed a herd of like, I guess younger deer, either younger or just like a smaller variety um and the boys were all doing headbutts and I think it's because they were like silly teenagers which made me really happy because then we passed like another herd that was just the dudes it was like a a dad's group just like off on the other side of the park yes it made me think of either like a group of dads or like a group of like really burly American men and you know that most of them are called like Chad oh yeah yeah (laughs) yes the Chads you know the Brads yes yeah it's just a big group of frat boys at one end of the park and then like cute little teenage school boys at the other end doing doing headbutts and kickflips <laughs> yeah, yeah do a kickflip <laughs> so are you changing yours or have you got one uh if i was not joining you on the deer which i think i may uh my option was going to be a fainting goat just because i've been very panicky today oh, specifically no. <laughs> over sorting out tax forms and the goats that just faint they yeah that's it and also like i've been doing a fair amount of walking did a lot of like hiking up hills when I was back home in the Peak District. So I feel like a mountain goat would have been a really good shout. Also, goats grow horns, so maybe I could still have a goat and silly boys could still do headbutts. <laughs> true, true. I feel like if I was picking mine over Christmas, the fin and goat would have been for me as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So much well, panic. Our demons have synced up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they have. Well, I mean, do you, should we get into this episode? I feel like we've not talked that much, but I haven't really got much to say. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. <laughs> Last chapter, we were with Mary as she began her journey in Chittagatse and learned that she repels the spectres. She found another window and headed through it into a brand new world where she met and befriended a herd of strange creatures called Malefa. In this chapter, we're back with Will as he carries on his journey to find Lyra and encounters a horrifically creepy priest that forces him to drink vodka. Will journeys further south to a port town that is in the midst of a battle with a boat full of armoured bears led by Yorick. Will settles a dispute using the knife and boards a bear boat to carry on south. Yes, we should probably start this chapter by saying that we are both we put out a call on social media and said do you want us to drink vodka while we do this episode and literally you all said yes i think the only person there was two people that said no one of them was our friend matt and i called him out on it and he said he pressed it by accident so literally (laughs) one person said no so here we are well drinking vodka i'm drinking vodka because vodka is my drink of choice but rich is is drinking gin because she doesn't drink vodka I can't believe you're out with me. I was going to lie to everyone and make them think I was drinking vodka. We can't lie. <laughs> we can't. Yes, I I don't think we have any vodka in the house. If we did, I would be drinking it, but we only have gin. I didn't think you liked vodka. I've never seen you drink it before. I will upon occasion drink vodka. I feel like if I was going to have a vodka, it'd be like a vodka lime and soda. Fair, yeah. Rather than a vodka and coke, because vodka and coke just, it just tastes too much like teenage regret. <laughs> You know, yeah, I obviously it's my drink, but yeah, it, it does give me very like student club night distress vibes. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not as bad as you know, like for example, a Jaeger bomb that definitely tastes like regret. But vodka and coke is a similar vibe. Anything in coke, really, actually. 
I had a Jagerbomb for the first time in like years. And by years, I mean like 10 years, probably even more than that. Very recently, because my sister got me to do it. And then on my 30th birthday, when we all went out, I got coerced by our friend Zach to do it as well. Not actually coerced. Coercing your friends to drink is not good. <laughs> Don't do it, kids. Encouraged. But I was I was a willing party, of course. Otherwise, I would not have done it. But yeah, they're fucking disgusting as well. Yeah, they're grim. It's the caffeine for me, though. I think that's the problem. It's caffeine and sugar. Oh, I can't, I'm like, you know, I'm like on when I have any kind of caffeine. So horrendous. Anyway, this vodka's going down really nice. Yay. Well, I was going to say, if we were to turn the chapter into any kind of drinking game, what would we drink on? Because I feel like Phil chose vodka for the chapter title just because there happens to be some vodka in it. Like, I don't know why it's not anything else, because the actual experience that Will has with vodka is not great and surrounded by creepiness so do we drink every time someone's creepy or do we drink every time something nice happens because that's a much better way of doing it <laughs> the nice things in this chapter are few and far between in fairness would it be too morbid to drink every time something horrendously creepy happens what about every time balthamos changes shape oh yeah that's a good one because that's like it's quite neutral yeah yeah okay if you if people want to drink and also you don't have to drink booze if you just want to take a little sip of water or your take can a of sip coke of or your whatever. tea or coffee or beverage of choice <laughs> eat a square of your chocolate bar yes <laughs> treat yourself or if you're on public transport every time we say we've taken a drink you you have to do some kind of like forfeit like scratch your nose with your middle finger so it looks like you're swearing at everyone on the train <laughs> carriage or something <laughs> Or do a classic Dick and Dom and shout like burgers or something. Can you remember yes. that? <laughs> okay, this chapter, here we go. We start off and it's horrible. Oh, oh. before we start, <gasps> oh, we've shit. got to do the... Oh my God, it's been so long. About my little literary corner, I'm eh? so sorry. Do you want to guess the picture first or do you want to do liter- literary corner first? Uh, I'll, I'll guess the picture. Is it a shot glass? No, that would have been good though, right? Oh. Or like a bottle? Mm-mm. Any other ideas? It's nothing to do with vodka. Is it an aspect of the creepy priest, like his beard or his hand? Thankfully not, I shall tell you. It is Yorick's helmet and it's all like cut up. Oh, nice. So starts with a spoiler, So because we know there's going to be bears in it then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't really tell what that is. It's not a great drawing in fairness. No offence to whoever drew that. I think it is Phil. That's <laughs> <Thoughts>, Phil. <laughs> well, back to literary corner what you all came here for uh the passage is i have been a stranger in a strange land and it's from exodus which is a bible book i, I don't know if that's the proper way of saying it but a it bible is. book the gist of the verse i got this from quotecosmos.com bible verses so uh in this verse moses has a son to zipporah and he names him gershom saying I have been a stranger in a strange land. And that is referring to his earlier years growing up in Egypt. The wider context text of the quote is mostly just so-and-so married so-and-so or begat so-and-so. I don't know if it's the begatting chapter or not, but it's that vibe. It's about people having kids. I mean, if we're to take it as it is, are we basically to, it were to understand that, you know, it describes well, right? Yeah, very much so. Like, I can see why Phil's chosen it. It's very, very much a quote that just fits a traveller travelling somewhere strange. But what's interesting is that Stranger in a Strange Land is the title of a science fiction novel written in 1961. And the story focuses on a human who was raised on Mars and has never been to Earth. And he travels to Earth and basically 
has to try and fit into human culture. And so it's that vibe of having been displaced and then replaced and feeling like a stranger in somewhere that should be familiar to you. And also a fun part about this book, which makes me wonder if that's also part of the reason Phil chose it as a quote, is that it is set in a post-Third World War United States where organised religions are politically powerful. So I wonder if that book title in part and that also the themes of the book is that like it's about religion being very very powerful in that in that particular world of the novel has also influenced Phil in why that quote stands out to him if he's read that novel if he also chose the bible quote interesting didn't have the energy to do much more research than that fair interesting I think it's like Phil is like a very clever man clearly and he's so well read that I'm just like how do you know all these things but then I suppose it's just like knowing anything right because like we could pull from our knowledge it would probably be all like buffy quotes and shit but you know what I mean (laughs) like how do you pin down what you think is intelligent but I think he's a very intelligent man yeah I think it's very much here is the reading list that you get if you attend an Oxford college to do literature it's a lot of the like the classics that he's pulling from and they're classics for a reason and are also therefore the themes of a lot of novels most of the stuff that you have told me through the like quotes i'm just not interested in the text that they come from if that makes sense the only one that i really liked was the one that was about lyra sleeping and it was can you remember it was about that girl that was like dead or something or the emily dickinson one was quite interesting too oh which one was that one she lay as if at play yeah is that the about one? the dead girl no that's a different one from the girl that gets stolen by lions <laughs> Which I think is a William Blake, but I'm not sure. No, I'm thinking of the Emily Dickinson one, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that one. But maybe it's just because a lot of them just come from old white men that I don't give a shit about. It's kind of an inaccessible reference catalogue, I think, in terms of like, I'm very motivated and talk a lot, as you will know, having listened to this podcast for X amount of time and having known me for this amount of time. We talk a lot in like pop culture references. Yeah. Constantly referring to... Harry Potter or Buffy or loads of things that we've been watching that we've been absorbing but if we'd spent a lot of our time incredibly interested in and reading a lot of like classical literature I'm sure we'd be pulling more references from that and I think that's just where Phil comes from is that world of like being surrounded by that kind of literature which makes sense and it works with the themes of the book and I'm sure a lot of the stuff that we're referencing from pop culture is also from a long lineage of things that have filtered down from these references that Phil's making but I'm not a scholar no same (laughs) this is the thing basically you said what I was trying to say much more eloquently which is why this podcast works because I ramble and then you say it properly and here we are and also I've I've drank some vodka so it's going to get even worse from here or alternatively you make a point and then I repeat it and pretend like it was my idea. I mean, I'm fine with it because you usually put it better than I did. So, <laughs> Well, indeed. <laughs> so start off the chapter with a nice little paragraph of grief. Basically, we're kicking off the new year with some anguish, uh, pretty much some gay anguish. I mean, I'm kicking off every day with some gay anguish and fairness. I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Balthamos has felt the death of Brooke. He felt it the moment it happened. And I'm just putting it out there. I have a real thing about, maybe I'm morbid, maybe I just have an, like, an interest in it, but the way that people, uh, what am I trying to say? Media and pop culture references to things that display the moment of grief when somebody learns of a death because it is done so badly through so much pop culture. There's so much just like general, you know, a hospital drama. You've just found out someone's 
died from a car crash and the, the camera slowly pans away and you see like somebody just weeping silently. And I have just like a real thing for like, I'm drawn in to depictions of grief that are like, that feel raw or that feel like kind of more realistic or more intense than your like usual, like kind of slightly hazy rose, not rose tinted, but like more flowery version of it. For example, the Ari Aster films, Midsommar and Hereditary do it really well. Oh my God, Florence Pugh, yeah. fucking hell. That's one of the most brilliant depictions of grief. Ever. That entire film is one of the most brilliant depictions of grief I've ever seen. But the bit where she's like, literally like heaving crying on like her dickhead boyfriend's lap fuck yeah and it's the same with the mom character in hereditary she has an, a reaction like that as well and the way that he like gives it that time and attention for that like guttural body shaking moment and it feels really visceral i feel like we've had we have this a little bit with balthamos in this moment where he cries aloud and soars into the air over the tundra flailing his wings and sobbing in anguish into the clouds and he just has that moment to like just completely lose all composure before he kind of comes back and he lets it out which is something that you don't really see a lot of i just i appreciate those moments a lot of the time in pop culture there's still the air of like everything looking and seeming perfect and like you want your actors to look good and you want you know what they're doing to look appealing no matter what it might be so like when you have moments in pop culture where you know you can see these like visceral emotions on a person's face that may make their face look distorted or not as you know in like air quotes like standardly beautiful as you will would expect like somebody like Florence Pugh to look or whatever or like when you do go big with it it feels cheesy like the like classic like no the camera pans away and they're kneeling and they're like "Ah." I don't know what the specific reference is where someone's just like shouting into the air it's like not that It's something more than that in this moment. A lot of what you see in pop culture is like sanitized. I think that's the word for it. It's like quite sterile in the way that it's like put together and then seeing something that is like actually showing like the waves of emotion as well. And um, there's a lot of great descriptions in that I've heard before of grief in terms of it comes in waves. You know, if you drop something big in in a pond, like it takes so much longer for those final ripples to get to you. And yes, the first few are big and then it's slowly like the ripples keep coming and they will sneak up on you and you don't expect it. And it is that. And we get that a lot from Balthamos here as well, because he he comes back to Will, he tells him what's happened um, and that Brooke is dead, but he can't get much more out and he kind of keeps flying up into the air and we're seeing Balthamos rising and falling and crying and calling and all of this stuff. And like, it's kind of interesting that a visual, visual depiction of him going through that in that way like the way that Balthamos's emotions are peaking as well so he's like flying into the air and screaming and then coming down and saying to her like I promise I'm gonna keep quiet I'll hide I'll keep quiet and then he can't keep quiet anymore he can't hold it anymore and just pretend like nothing's happened and he has to go into the air and scream again and I just yeah there's something really like potent about that yeah absolutely just a very quick note like I really love that like Will is ready to protect him immediately before he knows that um Baruch is dead he's like is it danger get behind me and he's like so ready to just protect him yeah I have a lot of space for Will in a lot of this because he doesn't really tell Balthamos 
how to feel. And I love that. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't do anything other than just be there and hold a space, which I think is really important. He says practical things. He's like, I ha- we have to do this. This is what needs to get done. But he doesn't like tell Balthamos how to feel about it when he's doing it or like to adjust his emotions. He's just like, I need you to maybe do these behaviours, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like that I, I I do agree with you, but I think the bit like that I think you're referring to where he's like, you know, you've got to be quiet, we've got to do this shit now, like you've got you've still got to help me and we've got to, you know, find Lyra and whatever. I know that there are important things and probably there are these things are probably more important if you fucking put them on some kind of scale than the death of, of Baruch, not to Balthamos, but in like the grand scheme of things. But I'm also like, give him a minute. I get it. I get it. You've got to do this shit and you've got to get out of this place and you've got to find Lyra, but give him a minute, mate, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's that thing that I quite strongly relate to as well, though, of like needing a job to do, to distract you. If I'm in a really particularly awful mood or awful place, sometimes somebody just giving me something quite easy to do is a way to get me through it or just to pass the time rather than sitting there and feeling sad. But obviously this is very much in the immediate He's only just found this information out and he's only just having these feelings. He is being swept along a little bit by Will in terms of we've got to get this done. But at the same time, Phil's got to write a book, I guess. Yeah, yeah we've got to <laughs> we keep got, things we got to get some narrative going. <laughs> so Will goes to sleep. And uh, when he wakes up, we have Balthamos like making a promise to him, which is very sweet, just saying that, you know, he knew, like, he knows that it's what Baruch wanted for the sake of Baruch. I shall guide you to Lyra if I can. And he says, perhaps I shall fail from time to time, but I shall try all the same, which is very sweet. Yeah, I think that it's really nice, like, the sentiment there of, like, he wants to honour Baruch's memory by, like, carrying that kindness that Baruch brought to him when he was alive. And I think that's really, it's really beautiful. It is. And then Will says, Baruch would be proud of you, which is very sweet. Very sweet. But then also the, like, cynicism in me is like, are you just saying that so that he does what you want him to do? That's just me being a total fucking pessimist. Yeah. I'd be like... I mean, you didn't know him, but thanks for saying <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> like, all right, you met him for like a fucking day, but thanks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's also like, what else are you supposed to say in that moment? And I think that's a nice thing to say. Yeah, I think it's, and as well, like coming from a child as well, you know, like we forget that Will's a child. He's probably never had to deal with much like this before. Like he's only just seen his own dad die in fairness. Yeah. There's an interesting bit here about Balthamos saying that basically now that Metatron and the region have seen Will. They've narrowly like escaped from them. That's it now. They know his face. They're going to come for him, like no matter what. And Will's in danger, but they, he decides not to tell him to share. And I wanted to just bring up something quickly about Metatron and Enoch, because we did that episode where we were like, what the fuck? Metatron is such a stupid name. And I still agree. And then we got a couple of emails saying that, you know, it is an actual thing. And we got an email from, I think it's from Laura. She told us a little bit more about it and I'm just going to read it. And the reason why I'm doing this as well is because I was watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and um, in the like final season, Metatron comes into it. So basically, I believe this was from Laura. They said, Metatron is not a name that Phil made up. Metatron is not mentioned in the Christian Bible, but it is mentioned briefly in several passages of the Talmud, I hope I'm saying that right, the central text of 
rabbinic Judaism and the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish theology. His legends are predominantly found in mystical Kabbalistic texts. He is variously identified as a prince or angel of the presence as Michael the Archangel or as Enoch after his bodily ascent into heaven. He's commonly described as a celestial scribe recording the sins and merits of men as a guardian of heavenly secrets, as God's mediator with the men, uh, as a lesser Yahweh, I'm sorry about my pronunciations here, as the archetype of man and as one whose name is like that of his master. And then she goes on to say, uh, there's some interesting stuff on Wikipedia about where his name came from and the belief that he may have been the transformed spirit of Enoch, who was said to be Adam and Eve's great, 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 times five, grandson, and Noah's grandfather. So, you know, he is a figure in like religious text. And I can't remember if we mentioned that or got too far into it, but I thought it was interesting to note. Yes. Also, I remember after having spoken about Mastron, I believe... I don't know if we mentioned it at the time, but also Alan Rickman's character in the film Dogma is Metatron. And I went and, then went and found that film on DVD and we still haven't watched it. <laughs> we do need to watch it. Also, I am drinking vodka. So if my if I read that out terribly, I'm extremely sorry. And sorry for my You read it out very well. <laughs> Thank you. Metatron has seen Will's demon. He knows what Will's demon is before we even do. Yes, I have a note that's like, demon watch. Demon watch. How's that work? Does that mean that Balthamos knows what Will's demon is? Because it's just one of the things that angels can see about people that people can't see about people if they don't have them? The way that it's worded is interesting. So it says, And not only his face, but everything about him which angels were able to see, including parts of which Will himself was not aware, such as the aspect of his nature Lyra would have called his demon. So we don't know like where or what that is or what it is within Will that they can see that Lyra would have called his demon, like what aspect of Will constitutes his demon but it's very interesting because that's the first thing we've ever had that's hinted towards will potentially having a demon aside from the fact that somehow his dad managed to get one and is from the same world as him i wonder if it looks like anything until it finds its form i think that it's just like a something within you until it then breaks out of you to become something i don't think it's like living as like an animal or whatever within him do you he's know what got I mean? a squirrel in his kidney yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing like the fucking chest bursted alien from Alien. <laughs> yes. Imagine if that's how John Perry's demon revealed herself. It's very traumatic, actually. <laughs> I'd prefer not to talk about it. Oh, no. <laughs> After that, Balthamos tells Will that there's like a town nearby and a river that is like half a day's walk ahead. And if they can get there, they can get a boat which will get them south more quickly but first they need to pass through a village that is on the way to the town the description of this town is quite interesting it's not super different from the descriptions that we had of trollisund when we first met that in the northern lights we definitely know that we are in the north of lyra's world i enjoy some of the little descriptions of the houses the village was a shabby little place a huddle of wooden buildings with paddocks containing reindeer and dogs that barked as she approached smoke crept out of the Tin chimneys. Say tin chimneys chimneys. ten times fast. (laughs) Tin chimneys. Tin chimneys. That made me think of just... Chim chim jeru. Yes. Tin chimney. (laughs) Tin chimney. Tin chimney. Tim chim jeru. And this is why we don't drink alcohol while we record this podcast. (laughs) I've literally had like two sips of gin. It's not the alcohol. It's the like mania from my my week of spreadsheets. (laughs) 
smoke crept out of the tin chimneys and hung low over the shingled roofs. The ground was heavy and dragged at his feet, and there had obviously been a recent flood. Walls were marked with mud to halfway up the doors, and broken beams of wood and loose hanging sheets of corrugated iron showed where sheds and verandas and outbuildings had been swept away. But... That was not the most curious feature of the place. At first, he thought he was losing his balance. It even made him stumble once or twice, for the buildings were two or three degrees out of the vertical, all leaning the same way. The dome of the little church had cracked badly. Had there been an earthquake? I just love the idea that it's like, whoop, it's a little bit sideways. It's cute. Also, it's just like, had there been an earthquake? No, there'd been a fucking Asriel explosion. That's what they'd been. Yeah, just some more descriptions of the damage that Asriel's done right there. Take your first drink, people, because Balthamos turns into a dog here. Yeah. I mean, I've nearly finished my fucking drink. Oh, I haven't got any ice in mine. A little bit of ice in a glass ASMR there. Some men appear and, like, stare at Will. Balthamos says, it's polite to keep his head down and ignore them. And Will does that thing that he has that talent of making himself seem really inconspicuous. And this is interesting to me, because I know that we've seen Will use this before. It really makes me think of when I was a teenager because I used to do this really well because I think I've said on the podcast before I was quite badly bullied when I was a teenager and people that have been bullied very much have this talent you make yourself literally as inconspicuous as possible and you don't want anyone to see you because you grew up literally being ridiculed for every single thing you did so you learn how to make yourself not visible to others it makes me feel really sorry for Will but also I'm like I totally fucking get it yes I also feel like a lot of women have this talent purely from existing in spaces i'd love to think of it as a superpower like how will has it but actually i think it's like a inbuilt survival mechanism that is the shrinking process that you go through when you go from walking down the street with confidence to like passing a bar that's got loads of men stood outside of it or when you go from having just strode down the the well-lit high street to like walking down a slightly quieter road and realizing there's someone else on the road with you and it's the like shoulders going up and the head going down and they're like looking a bit grumpier or like as nothing as possible putting nothing out there so there's nothing to be and that is very much what will is doing here is just putting nothing out there but i imagine that's like amplified if you have had the experiences that you've had as well yeah and i totally get the being a woman in the world side of it as well so a priest starts shouting something to will from across the street balthamos says you gotta be polite no you don't keep Keep walking walking Rachel and i both said that we really struggled to get through this chapter when we were making our notes because i knew what chapter it was and it's fucking gross. And I just didn't want to read about it. And also, I just don't want to... Do you know when you just don't want to give something your time? And, like, you struggle? I don't particularly think that the aspect of the priest being really fucking creepy with Will needed to be in this book. I just don't think it did. No. So, if we're going to compare this priest to, for example, another character that's coded as being older and a little bit lechy, Charles Latrim, when he's interacting with Lyra... That makes sense to code him in that way because he's about to be a consistent villain for the next rest of the book. This guy, I don't think it's spoilery to say, we're not going to see him again. So having Will have this experience that makes him feel unsafe and uncomfortable and makes us feel unsafe and uncomfortable as readers kind of does nothing. Aside from making us feel incredibly uncomfortable and then feeling incredibly relieved when Will is in a safe space because Yorick is there. I think that's the only thing it is, is the contrast of him feeling alone and unsafe and then safe. I'm not here for it. It could have been done in a different way. It didn't have to be, like, if they wanted that contrast of Will feeling unsafe to then feeling safe, it didn't have to be 
this way that, that Phil did that. The way it's just like coded through the page, like the language and stuff, I, I don't like it at all. So the priest has a crow demon and at some point soon, Balthamos turns into a mouse to hide from him. So drink. So drink. Yes, uh, Balthamos translates for Will and he says, I speak English. I don't know any other languages. I'm like, me too, mate. It's really awkward when you're abroad and you don't speak any other languages, isn't it? I feel you. <laughs> yep, definitely. I want. I just want to call out like the use of this kind of language. So Balthamos says, the priest, you'll have to be polite, like we just said. And then Phil writes, Will did so. The priest was an immense grey bearded man wearing a black cassock with a crow demon on his shoulder. His restless eyes moved over Will's face and body, taking everything in. He beckoned. And there's language like that throughout this chapter. And it's just fucking gross. One of my notes is a little side note that is the creepometer. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And yeah, that's like, it's, you know, it's kind of like middling to low on the creepometer, but it is the first strike on his creep list. Will does a good job of just kind of channeling his inner Lyra here. He just cracks out some lies. He's like, oh, I'm going south. Um, I've lost my family. I'm trying to find them. And the priest then gets him to come inside. Another mark on the creepometer. Creekometer, creekometer <laughs> is. He says, then you must come inside and have some refreshment, said the priest, and put a heavy arm around Will's shoulders, pulling him in through the doorway. No thanks. No, no touching, please. I don't know you. It's like not like if he hadn't just looked him up and down, including his face and body, I would be like eh, overly friendly, whatever. But it's grabbing somebody after looking at them like that. No, no, thank you. And that's when Balthamos changes. Big drink. So this name thing is interesting. Hmm. Did you try and work out what our names would be? I didn't. I didn't. I tried to work out. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I tried to work out if it's the same for women because we get Lydia Alexandrovna. So I was wondering if her mother was called Alexandra. Well, so I had a little look up. The town is called Kolodnoy. Which, if you literally just stick it into Google Translate, it gives you a thing that's very similar and it's N-O-E instead of N-O-Y-E. And that literally translates in Russian to cold. And then also, if you type it into Google Maps, it takes you to a tiny town in Russia. So I think it's safe to assume we're in Russia. And the naming conventions do sound very Russian. Don't we find out that we're in Siberia when they're looking at the map? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, they're near near the Ural Mountains, which run through through Russia. He, the priest says, my father was called Boris, so I am Borisovich. What was your father's name? John, he says, John is Ivan, so you'd be Will Ivanovich. And then I was looking into it. So, Ovich is like a standard, you take your father's name and you add Ovich, and that would be your surname in Russian. That's usually meaning son of so-and-so. So, daughter of so-and-so would be Ovna. So ours would probably be, if we took Stephen, because both our dads are called Steve. Fun yeah, fact. Yes, they are. Uh, so me and Faye would share a surname. <laughs> both our dads are called Steve and they're born on the same day as well. Yeah. But they're not the same person. <laughs> they're not. They're not. We're not sisters. <laughs> but our dads are birthday twins. So that's fun. Stephen, usually in Russian, there are various versions of Stephen, but the most common one, if you're taking it from like Saint Stephen, which most Brits are taking from St. Stephen in Russia is usually St. Stefan. So we would probably be Stefanovna, I think. Russians correct me because there's varying surname add-ons that you can put on the end, but usually if it ends in Ovich or O, it's a guy's name. And if it's in Ovna, it's a girl's name. Uh, or it means daughter of so-and-so instead of son of so-and-so. And then I was like, hey, 
what about my envies? What are we going to do about this? Where's my gender neutral naming conventions? So I had a look. There's not a ton. There's a lot of discussion because a lot of the Russian language genders pretty much every word. It's very similar to like Italian. Italian has like very gendered words. Like it's just built into the language. Like objects have genders, things have, it's just how it works. So it's much harder. If Phil's struggling with they and them, which we know he is from a couple of tweets, thank goodness he's not writing in Russian because he'd be struggling even harder. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, if queer Russians are currently trying to like unpick their entire like language structure, I think we can cope with a they them. That's all I'm saying. So not all surnames are gendered and there are a lot of surnames that just exist as nouns. Usually if your surname is a noun, it just stay that way you're not going to change it. But they're a bit rarer. Quite often a lot of surnames are from the mother's or father's name. When is it from the mother's name, by the way? I think it's always the father, actually, but I haven't really seen it. Well, that's what I mean. I feel like I was shooting too high when I was like, oh, would would a woman's be from the mother? No, it'd still be from the father, of course. No, because I think hers would be like son, like daughter of Alexander, if hers is Alexandrovna. Oh, I'll just fucking carry this child for nine months, shall I, and not have it named after me? Fuck that. Absolutely not. And I imagine that there is like more modernly, there would be more trends of people just taking their mum's name because why why wouldn't you if that's an option? But there are more gender neutral names that are are not specifically gendered and they are words that end in ko or uk or lo or la. So such as Ivchenko. So if we wanted to go for a gender neutral child of Stephen, (laughs) we might go for Stefanko. Oh, I and like I think it. that sounds better than Stefanovna. So just putting it out there. It's an option. So I got that from Reddit because basically there was somebody being like, I'm learning Russian. I'm non-binary. I want to find my like, what would my Russian name would be? But I can't. The language is stumping me and is it's built in the binary. How do I, how do we do this? So that was from like some suggestions from like some people that knew Russian and some native Russian speakers are like, this is how they approach it but gender and language I'm very glad I speak English because it's very easy to just to adapt our language like words themselves often don't have aren't gendered and it makes adapting our language much easier than it is for some languages so if anybody out there does speak Russian and knows more about that than I do from my googling which I will admit is not great and it was hard to work out what was going on please do correct me I'm very open to being corrected. And I'm sorry if I butchered that entire situation. Well, well done for looking into it, because I did not. Me and Faye would have the same surname. <laughs> nice. Nice. Also, this guy, channeling his inner Lyra, is full naming everybody. He keeps referring to himself. He f- keeps full naming himself. And then he keeps full naming Will. And then he keeps full naming Lydia Alexandrovna. <laughs> Poor Lydia as well, having to work for him. Fucking hell. Grim, grim, grim. He makes a jerk later, doesn't he, about like how they've never slept together, lol. That's so weird. Like he's the catch and she's not. Phil does a lot in here of like, so we get that the priest is a bad guy from how he is in general. But then Phil does a lot of like coding this guy as being extra bad because he's got dirty fingernails. He throws in some fun fat phobia as well, refers to the priest as having fat hands. He codes him as having like alcohol stinky breath and um, tobacco stinky breath and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, it is just the fact that he's creepy that makes all of those things make him a bad person. You can have dirty fingernails and be fat and smoke and drink and not be a bad person. But the way that Phil's coded it all together into one character that we are reading as being atrocious makes me feel kind of uncomfortable about a lot of the way he's described in some of those ways. In the same way that like JK Rowling is like, fat people are bad. 
look at this bad character who is evil and therefore fat and ugly. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, can we just have like a nice fat person for once to bump up the creep factor? The priest keeps leaning in and leaning close to Will and feeling his hands and holding Will's hands to see if he was cold and stroking his knee. So that is eight on the creepometer, I reckon. Yeah, I think the knee stroke is pretty fucking bad. Yeah. And in order to distract him, Will asked why the buildings in the village were slow. Will is feeling the need to distract this guy from being predatory. He is manoeuvring his way around this guy. It's just creepy and uncomfortable. Thanks, Bill. And then we get like more information about basically the the Asriel explosion and learn that it like changed the direction of the river for a little bit. Will says that when the like the fog came after the Asriel explosion, that's how he lost his family. So again, he's just on his lion trip, channeling his inner Lyra, which he does like throughout this chapter, like especially at the end with Yorick, that's all very Lyra, but we'll get there. The priest like keeps talking at Will while Lydia brings him food and stuff. He wants Will to stay, keeps trying to get him to stay for longer. And it's just all a bit grim. There was a word here that I did not know that I had to Google. It is when he is, Will is being quizzed and pressed for details on his life, his family, his home. And Will, a practiced dissembler, answered him fully enough. I had to Google dissembler. What did it say? I want to see if it's similar to what I thought it was. A person who professes beliefs and opinions that he or she does not hold in order to conceal his or her real feelings or motives. So I a liar. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I was like, yeah, makes sense. He's channeling his inner Lyra. Yeah, massively. So Will's like, I want to go, I want to go. Do you think I can find a passage on, the, on a steamer going south? And then the priest starts getting a bit shirty about it and he's like there's trouble in that town there's armored bears hello bears 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 creepy priest can do one i want to go and see the bears that was my note yeah yeah (laughs) and then he's like did you not see like armored bears when you were in the north and then he's getting suspicious about will's story and balthamos is like be careful Will makes up a lie, basically, and says, oh, we were, we were a long way from Svalbard. The bears were occupied by their own affairs. And then the priest is like, okay, cool. And he's like, not sus anymore, basically. Yeah, like, seems legit. <laughs> but <laughs> the priest then goes on just like a fun little, as if we didn't hate him enough. I know, right? Lol. When I read this, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is this part of the speech they give to that magisterium guy in the second season. Yes, yes. Don't they, of the TV show? Because I was like, as soon as it said something about fucking seed, I was like, that's what that guy said. And I can't remember what character. It, it must be Gomez, right? Uh, no, it's the guy that's saying it in the series is, he's the one with the like, I'm trying to think what his demon is. I think he's the one with the tarantula demon. He's just like the generally coded like, He's a shitty person, magisterium guy with the curly hair. The actor is called Sean Gilder. But yeah, they give these lines to him and I was like, fucking hell. It's grim. It's grim. So I'm just going to read the speech because let's all just revel in the uh, flagrant witch hating and basically just misogyny really, isn't it? They are children of the devil. All things from the north are devilish. Rude. <laughs> yeah. How oh, dare right you. Here. Actually, I'm like, yeah, seems legit. <laughs> All things from the north are devilish. 
like the witches, daughters of evil. The church should have put them all to death many years ago. Witches have nothing to do with them, Will Ivanovich. Do you hear me? You know what they'll do when you come to the right age? They'll try to seduce you. They'll use all of that soft, cunning, deceitful ways they have, their flesh, their soft skin, their sweet voices, and they will take your seed. You know what I mean by that? They will drain you and leave you hollow. They will take your future, your children that have come and leave you nothing. They should be put to death, every one. Dude, nobody wants your seed. Shut I up. Know. Jesus Christ, <laughs> calm down. And you're saying this to a fucking child? Shut the fuck up. It's like simultaneously being creepy. Like, just maybe don't talk about my seed. <laughs> please <laughs> i then went on a google hunt yes of like, Rich sent me a screenshot of like things that we google for this podcast <laughs> things that we google for the podcast i couldn't find the perfect thing i was like i've heard it places it's a thing i'm doing very good at words today it's a thing in other things you know it's a thing in things you know it's a thing in things so a thing that i definitely recognized it from is you know what we do in the shadows there's a bit with the witches and all the witches just want to steal the sperm yeah it's a thing so like there is like definitely a cultural rhetoric that's like witches they just they just want the sperm i was like why where does it come from what is the historical context and so i googled like what is the historical roots behind people believing that witches were stealing people's seed like why is this a thing that phil has pulled from to put into this book why has he decided it's there why do we care about seed stealing witches the word seed i can't honestly it's just it makes my skin crawl (laughs) So probably a lot of it came from the Malleus Maleficarum, which is like a book about witches. The Malleus Maleficarum, or the Hammer of the Witches, was a treatise that promoted the execution of witches based on theological theories of demonology written by Henrik Kramer or Kramer, not sure. It was published in Germany in 1497. This is from theenglishheritage.org.uk So further leaps of logic within the Malleus Maleficarum concluded that demons wanted to produce offspring, so they haunted monastic dormitories to steal human seed in order to impregnate women with demon children. But who would such women be? This is when the Roman idea of the witch and her manifestation as the embodiment of winter in alpine regions catastrophically came together to allow the first generation of demonologists to formulate an exact identity for the recipients of the seed. So they were like, we think demons are hanging out stealing people's seed because they want demon babies, but who are they going to impregnate? I know, witches. And then that turned into witches. They just want the seed. They're all about it. But in my Googling, (laughs) when when I was Googling, why do witches want the seed? What's going on here? Oh my God, Rich, you're getting dangerously close to some very strange porn. (laughs) Honestly, I did not mean to do this at all. But like the second thing that came up on Google is like, oh, you've Googled why historically is it is it a thing that people believe that witches want a seed? And the thing that came up underneath it was an article that was like, witches stole penises and kept them as pets in the Middle Ages. And I was, I couldn't not click on it and I couldn't not send it to Faye. Oh my God, so fucking funny. Ah, so Kramer in the Malleus Maleficarum claimed that they could, that witches could take away the male organ, not indeed by despoiling the human body of it, but by concealing it with some glamour. And he talks about it a lot. Witches collect male organs in great numbers, as many as 20 or 30 members oh together. Oh my God. And put them in a bird's nest or shut them in a box. 
they move themselves <laughs> like living members and eat oats and corn. It has been seen by many. Not people claiming to have witnessed a witch with a box full of dicks that she feeds corn and oats. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. It is all rooted in some super horrendous misogyny because Kramer writes in this text, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which in women is insatiable. So as always, it's just all about hating women and wanting us to either be or not be lusty or be the exact right amount of lusty for your patriarchal society. So fuck off. (laughs) Yes. Do you think this is where the Lonely Island got the idea for dick in a box from? Oh my god, maybe. (laughs) But that's just the one. This apparently is as many as 20 or 30. Well, there you go. There you go. So yeah, not only do witches steal seed, they also steal penises. I mean, why not? You may as well go the whole way if you're going to do it, right? Oh my goodness. Where do we get it from? The Middle Ages. What were we doing? It's wild. I don't know. Also, just to like flick back a little bit, the audacity of this priest to say to Will, don't go near the witches because they'll seduce you and steal your seed. When he's trying to seduce a 13-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Don't let them be creepy on you. I want only me to be creepy at you. So Fucking gross, 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 gross. Yeah, really weird. And then the priest offers Will vodka. Sure, let's offer a child some vodka, shall we? That seems fucking healthy and legitimate and a good idea. So compare and contrast, though, because Will was given some, was it plum brandy? by the the man in the tower oh yeah but that was to help his wound and pain right yeah but he was still offering like a 13 year old like alcohol to deal with the pain of like a gaping knife wound but yes it is not will's first taste of alcohol is what i will say that is true this is where he makes that stupid joke about him and lydia not lying together (laughs) so weird like what is that joke it's so ridiculous i'm like that makes me think that you have and that you're ashamed of it and you're trying to be like never yeah but then also it's like is he also making is it mildly homophobic this character being this way well it is because it's predatory behavior but it's he kind of makes a joke like haha as if they're like oh i would never sleep with a woman or watch out for witches oh this is the only place we would have laid together so he's either negging her and saying she's ugly or i'd never sleep with her he's saying like haha it's a gay joke i'd never sleep with a woman i don't i don't get where the joke comes from i don't get why phil's written it he thinks it's hilarious it's just another weird thing of a grown man trying to find a way to put sex into a conversation and it's making Will feel uncomfortable. I don't know if I said that right. I think I know what you mean. I took it as been being him like negging her for being what he perceives as not attractive. But whatever, he's a fucking piece of shit anyway. So he uncorks the bottle, fills the glass with vodka. Obviously Will tries to leave like he doesn't want it. Oh sorry, I just got it. It might be because he's a priest, it might just be a celibacy joke. Oh yeah. I forgot he was a priest. Even though I keep calling him the priest. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Ignore everything I just said. It was probably a celibacy joke. <laughs> I mean, my my brain didn't jump there either. And I think obviously because he's trying to seduce a child, I'm like, well, obviously he is clearly a sexual being. The priest eventually like allows Will to leave, and he's saying like, oh, but you got to do this like shot of vodka before. And I just hate shots. I can't do shots. The description of Will doing it when people have like encouraged me to do shots in the past and I have eventually said yes and done it and you just oh god the like horrible burning and horrendousness I fucking hate it it's horrible oh god oh but this bit is probably the creepiest bit so 
He threw back the glass, swallowing it all at once, and then hauled his massive body up and stood very close to Will, in his fat, dirty fingers, Phil. The glass he held out seemed tiny, but it was brimming with the clear spirit, and Will could smell the heady tang of the drink and the stale sweat and the food stains on the man's cassock, and he felt sick before he began. And that is actually not the creepiest bit, but it's still creepy. It's a lot. It's a lot. The whole presence is not fun. So, like, he drinks it, and then this is the bit which I actually... Obviously, this entire chapter makes me feel very uncomfortable, but I think this bit kind of, like, crosses the line a little bit in the way... Not even the description of what happens, which is bad, but in the way that it says so like will shots the vodka and then it says there was one more ordeal to come just the way that that's written really bothers me a lot and then this is when like he's saying bye to him and he's like kissing him on like both cheeks and you know getting way too fucking close and his beard is like all up in will's face and it's just so grim and Will's just having to like hold his breath and enjoy this man's presence, which is like... Mm. Having said that, the, that w- there was one more ordeal to come put me right on edge in terms of like thinking something worse was actually... like Obviously, this is not fun at all, but I was expecting something worse after... I just don't trust Phil anymore. No, me neither. <laughs> I truly do not either. Even though I've read these books a thousand times and I know that not a lot worse happens because I would remember it because this is the other thing. In terms of my grand scale memory of the books, this chapter... Didn't really stand out to me. I was like, oh, Will meets a priest and drinks some vodka. I kind of half remembered it being on a houseboat. That was definitely wrong. Yeah, I really remember this chapter. Like, it really stuck out to me. And I don't know why, because it's not one of my favourite ones at all. I think it must have just been for the creepiness of it. But so then Will is finally leaves and walks for like two hours and his hangover gradually like kicks in. He feels really sick. He gets a headache. Balthamos like puts his hands on his face to like try and help him. I call bullshit on this hangover. Unless that vodka was absolutely disgusting. Maybe it was like Corp vodka. Oh God. Which is a bad nightclub in Sheffield. Well, a great nightclub in Sheffield. But that has bad vodka. But like he's a child though. He's not used to it. But also, don't listen mum. I used to like literally drink neat vodka, half a bottle of neat vodka on like while camping in a field with my friends like straight no chases or anything and feel not great the next day but not hungover and that was like the next day that wasn't like within an hour of having drunk a lot of vodka as as, as definitely not a child's child but like 15 16 <laughs> you're completely right i used to do the exact same thing you used to just drink vodka or whatever basically whatever you could get your hands on right straight out of the bottle I was probably around 14, 15, 16. So I am now a 30-year-old, like, looking at Will as a little baby. But actually, I was probably doing a similar thing. Not being coerced by a priest. But also not being affected that badly by it as well, right? Because, like, I would definitely feel it now as my 28-year-old self. If I have, like, two beers the next day, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a little headache. (laughs) (laughs) you know oh god yeah (laughs) i'm so much more susceptible now than i used to be that's true so then will promises never to drink vodka again and that is literally me after every time we go on a night out the next day i'm like i'm never drinking vodka again and then the next week there i am with my vodka and kirk okay so they're walking towards that big town uh they finally get there there's clearly some trouble happening. There's explosions, there's gunfire and shit. Balthamos has changed out of being a demon and then has to change back into being a demon. Yeah, Have a drink. drink, drink, drink. <laughs> Two drinks, really, because, yeah, at some point he stopped and now he is again. Yeah. So we learn that there's like a boat in the harbour. It's got bears on it. 
they're trying to refuel, but the people are very prejudiced against the bears, actually. And they're like, hell no, you bears aren't coming here to refuel. And then that starts a, a, like a big battle between them where they're like, the people on the shore have got like one gun and the bears have got like a fucking flamethrower-esque thing that's like literally f- like throwing flames at people and like destroys their gun and stuff. And then there's like two men that are helping the bears. And I want to know more about these men because they jump down to like tie the boat to the shore as it comes in. I want to know more about these men that are working for the bears and like where they came from and how they got to Svalbard and like did they go to Svalbard especially to be like I want to work for you bears like how did this happen are they prisoners did they get picked up along the way if this might not be the first port town that they've had to refuel in so they could have just been hired like how I'm sure if Lee Scoresby was available yeah oh, oh, God, no, Lee why no. did I say his name <laughs> But, you know, Lee Scoresby types who are willing to work for hire for the bears. Yeah. Or they could also be prisoners. But would Yorick keep prisoners, do you think? I know Yoffa did, but I don't know if that's Yorick's vibe. I don't think it's Yorick's vibe. And also the reaction of the bears when one of the men gets hurt, killed, uh, is so much that I think if they were prisoners that were being forced to do labour for the bears, that's not Yorick's vibe at all, but also the bears might not have been quite so upset yeah, that one of them got killed. That's true. I think if it's like genuinely like, hey, he was our employee. <laughs> you, you can't fire at my employee. You've got to do so much paperwork now. <laughs> yeah. Like, this was not in the risk assessment. <laughs> the description I like that I've said a million times when it, I think it was a spoiler from like the Book of Dust when I kept, because they use this description in there as well, but... His demon, a seagull, vanished as if she'd been pinched out of existence like a candle flame. And I, I like the description of when he uh, refers to like a demon dying as it being like extinguishing a candle or like the wisp of smoke that comes from a candle when you blow it out. I like that description. So yeah, the, the bears are pissed that one of their men dies. The plank goes down, they start coming down the gangway. There's a big bear there. I can only imagine that it's Yorick. Bear dad's back. Bear dad. And then Will runs out between the two parties and asks to speak to the bear. So again, this is very Lyra. Lyra would do this. This is very um, Lyra speaking to Yoffa. Like this whole thing is like a mirror image of that, but just with Will. Yeah. And also Lyra getting between or talking Yorick down when he's got the man's head in his mouth like a Labrador with an egg. I I wonder if Yorick is having a little bit of a what the fuck is it with me and precocious kids yeah. <laughs> getting in the way of my affairs and like trying to trick me into doing stuff or tricking bears specifically out of having fights. Like what is happening here? Because <laughs> it must just feel really familiar, like a little bit deja vu for him. Like why why is it children keep intervening in my life? <laughs> yeah, I love it that Yorick's like, what are you? what are you and what do you want like not who are you what are you oh i love it but i wonder if that's in part because he can kind of see better than other people that maybe will's demon isn't a demon oh yeah maybe and that might prompt the what as opposed to the who will gives yorick and the people like a proposition of saying like i will fight you and if i win then you can come and refuel and the and he says it to like the people and shit and they're like uh, they laugh at him and i'm like he's trying to fucking help you actually it's kind of a weird situation right because he's like okay so if i win then the bears have to stop attacking the people and the people are like yay but also if i win the people have to refuel the bears and the bears are probably like yay 
and the people are like boo that's not what we wanted so it's kind of like a lose lose win win situation yeah it's not like clear cut is it yeah and then it's like so in this situation if will loses the only person that really loses is actually will because they'll just carry on fighting if will loses right yeah it's like a, a weird ultimatum deal situation (laughs) i kind of want to draw like a diagram of how this deal works i feel like is it a triangle is it a line is it a is it a hexagon i don't know but like will does like an amazing power move here is it when they're laughing at him and he just turns around and stares at them until they stop it's the vibe of like the teacher in the classroom going really quiet to make the class go quiet yes i'll wait actually oh we've got time That vibe, when it actually works, is great. But then when it doesn't work, it's the most awkward thing in the world. (laughs) Like You've got to really command a room to to have that vibe work out for you. (laughs) We get to the point here where Yorick says, it'd be shameful to fight you. You're weak as as an oyster out of its shell. I cannot fight you. And then Will's like, okay, well, I get that. Uh, Maybe you should give me some of your armor then so it's more even. And I'm really surprised that Yorick would be willing to part with his armor again after getting it back in Trollsund. Mm -hmm. That's why, so this moment when Will cuts a slice from the armor is in Mean Girls when Katie Heron breaks the crown and he's like... (laughs) I was literally just going to say, let's say it together because I think we've both thought of the same thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I just powered ahead anyway. It's all right. But yeah, no, totally. It's very much a moment yeah and he just cuts his fucking helmet with the knife like butter and we love to see it we love to see it but also a bit like when he's cutting it and it's like nice yeah that's good that's good that's that's enough that's it that's enough slices yeah. <laughs> he cuts it completely to like slivers he could have just cut like a couple of bits off or cut it in half or something where it could have been repaired but he completely cuts it to ribbons and it's like that's enough slices yeah that's enough slices that's somebody that's been on tiktok too much so will says that was your armor he said and dropped the pieces with a clatter it sprinkles it like confetti and this is my knife and since your helmet was no good to me i'll have to fight without it are you ready bear i think we're well matched i could take off your head with one sweep of my knife after all yes well i mean i obviously don't want him to hurt yorick but i like this fighting talk it's very lyra like the intonation of the way that he's speaking is very lyra as well it's very like i am a child explaining a deal to an adult and it is therefore very proper yes yorick says it's too strong a a weapon i can't fight that boy you win boy you win boy you win (laughs) (laughs) and then Yorick backs down and Will wins this is like Will being really perceptive of people again and like Yorick notices it and he's like oh that boy he's got there's something about that boy when Will preempts that they're all gonna like scream and and cheer and stuff and he like stops it and all that kind of and then he becomes he like makes himself inconspicuous a little bit later on as well like and and like Yorick notices all this because he's not human, so he can see what Will's doing. And again, very similar to Lyra, because he noticed, he noticed a lot of qualities in Lyra that other people didn't notice too. Yorick and Will finally have like a little bit of a conversation. And Yorick asks him what his name is. He tells him. He's like, can you make another helmet? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I went a bit far. Oops. <laughs> I like that he asks. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then Will says that he wants to go up the river with them. And he says, will you take me? And he says, yes, I want to see that knife. I will only show it to a bear that I can trust. There is one bear I've heard of who's trustworthy. He's the king of the bears, a good friend of the girl I'm coming to the mountains to find. Her name is Lyra Silvertongue. The bear is called Yorick Burnison. I am Yorick Burnison, said the bear. I know you are, said Will. I love that. I know you are. I, know you are. <laughs> I already know it. 
I'm just teasing yeah. you. I kind of wish he'd like thrown in some compliments there and been like, there's only one bear that I trust. He's the biggest, baddest bear. <laughs> yeah. I heard that he's the best dad that a girl could ever ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. My friend speaks very highly of him. Just say that Yorick could just like have a little blush. She'd be like, like, oh, like flipping, I'm flipping his hair moment. Oh my God, it's me. Is it me? Yeah. It's me. And Will would be like, I know you are. <laughs> I don't know why. That's just the vibe that I get. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Very cute. Basically, Will gets on board the boat and goes and goes with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's the well, end. Well, well, well. Yay! Yorick, 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 Yorick. That was a tough chapter to get through for the fact that I hated making notes about the priest. And I will say that I shan't ever be drinking while we do this podcast again because it's messed up my brain massively and I don't know if I'll be coherent in any way, shape or form. Maybe if it was like a funner chapter where I didn't have to think so much about what I was saying, but yeah, it hurt my brain a little bit. I don't know how Charlie and Hannah do it at Goblet of Wine. Oh my God. Yeah. Full respect to Charlie and Hannah at Goblet of Wine. Yeah. I feel like both in the chapter and maybe in the podcast, we just spend too much time with the priest. (laughs) I want to be here for the bear fighting and all of that fun stuff. But like, like I feel like there was way more to analyze with the priest than there was with the bears fighting. Cause like we do love an action sequence. Phil loves to write an action sequence. It's great. The visual descriptions are great. We get a really good idea of what's going on. It's wonderful when Will comes in and breaks it up, but like, it's all pretty straightforward and we don't get to have the nitty gritty, like character dissection of what's going on with Will and Yorick until who knows, maybe next chapter which is called upriver also i feel like this chapter is a little bit longer than the ones we've done recently and that's quite you know sometimes it's quite difficult to get all your thoughts in without the episode being like a fucking million years long and it like being too tiring for us to get through it i don't know how we're going to get on with when the chapters start to get longer in like the books of dust or whatever i can't remember how long those chapters are but I'm so used to doing short chapters in this book now. To be honest, we've had a long break and I've forgotten how to podcast. So I really hope I, I hope I did the good words about the books. I'm sure, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Do you have an award to give out? I mean, I think it might be RIP award to the sailor that was working with the bears. Because, like, I was going to give it to Yorick because I'm so happy to see him again. But I feel like I might get another chance to give Yorick an award. So, yeah, I think the sailor that was working with the bears, like, we want to know his story. We want to know his heart. He sounds like a good guy. Anyone that's willing to give the bears a hand, we like. And, yeah, sad for him and his demon. But finally, the candle moment that Faye had been waiting for. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to give mine to Lydia. I feel like she deserves it working with that fucking priest. Underappreciated. Yeah, she doesn't say a word. And I feel like she needs some friendship, some camaraderie in that in that situation. And I just feel fucking sorry for her working for that bastard. Yeah, that chapter did not pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> no, it did not. It absolutely did not. Literally no women spoke in that entire chapter. Like, not even the priest's demon spoke. No women spoke, and we actually got some very, like, visceral, horrible misogyny in it as well. I hadn't even thought about that. I was like, why do I not like this chapter? Oh, maybe it's because not a single woman has spoken, and we're really harsh to women the whole chapter. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Speaking of awards and rewards, we are still running our super fun little review giveaway situation. 
if you've listened to the podcast before, you probably know the deal, but I'm going to explain it again anyway. So if you leave us a review, hopefully a positive review with five stars, fingers crossed, pretty please, uh, and you take a screenshot of that review and send it over to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com, that will count as your entry into a prize draw. When we hit 50 reviews, we will pull some names out of a hat. 10 people will get some super fun podcast bookmarks. Our bookmarks are really cute. They're really nice. Some have got our demons on and some of them have Yorick and Lyra on, a Yorick chapter for a Yorick bookmark. Uh, So 10 of you will get some bookmarks and then one person will get the full up-to-date sticker merch pack, which is the seasonal one and two stickers and the bookmarks and all the other fun stuff. So yes, you should definitely leave us a review. And also, since we last recorded an episode, you can now leave reviews well you can give us star ratings on spotify and you know what i will accept that too so give us a five star rating on spotify screenshot it and send it to us as well oh nice yeah we'll accept we'll accept it yeah yes please give us five stars say nice things if you don't want to review us or you can't maybe recommend us to a his star materials loving friend oh shout us out on social media email us we we bloody love an email we haven't said that in a long time we we do we still bloody love an email don't you worry we do we've had some great emails recently i feel like we may be coming up to another mailbag we got a really great email from somebody that went to see the play and just wanted to chat to somebody about the play and it was so cute i love it so if you don't have any hdm loving friends like us to talk about the books with come chat to us send us an email or even better join our patreon and join the discord because we love it in there we do it's so great it's so great (laughs) in there yes join us Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Heard Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at HerdArtMaterialsPod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Fair, and when I'm not talking about creepy priests, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about witches and their dick collections, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. keeping any dicks as pets (laughs) (laughs) and if you do wish them a happy new year